0: You are listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. As I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, I... My family and I love to be with you guys. I'm uh, so excited to be with you this morning and especially on this day. When Britton called a few months back and was like, hey man, I got a crazy weekend happening. Can you preach this specific weekend? I'm like, ah, what was, what's the passage? He's like, it's Matthew 1. I'm like, I'm in. I'm there. Like, I want Matthew 1. So congrats. There were many people that thought you couldn't do it. There were many people that thought you would never make it. But look at you. You made it through the Old Testament. Give yourself a round of applause. You did it, right? Britain always says you guys are winners here in Tuscaloosa and you have won, you have done it. You've made it. And now we get to turn the page to the New Testament. But before we do, you need to know one significant piece of information. That little bit of blank space between the Old Testament and the New Testament is really significant because everything that has happened up until this point has been God showing us time and time again, he's drawing near and he's drawing near and he's drawing near to broken people, to us that in our sin had created a gap and a chasm that only he could cross. And then we get to the very end of the Old Testament. And between that and this moment we're going to talk about this morning, there are 400 years of silence. Complete silence. No prophecies, no prophets, no more promises. Silence. This morning, I would encourage you not to mistake the silence of God for the inactivity of God. Because even in the silence, we will see this morning, God was working to do something that is significant for you and for me. We open up the New Testament. We begin reading four Gospels, and they all open differently. Mark doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus at all. He just jumps straight into the action. Luke writes what is called a really concise and clear, linear description of the work of Jesus. John was the last of the gospels to be written and he writes a really theological letter to help us understand the deity of Jesus. But Matthew starts different than all of them. Matthew goes a a different route altogether. Matthew starts with a genealogy. Nobody else spends time here. None of the other gospel writers spend any time on the genealogy. Matthew's the only gospel writer that starts with a genealogy. It's unique. It's different. Some would even say it's boring. But It's far from it this morning. If you got your copy of God's word, open up to the book of Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read a bunch of people that fathered a bunch of people. This is God's word. The beginning of the New Testament. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Perez, excuse me, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab. Write that one down. You can name a kid Aminadab one day. Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Now, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Manasseh. Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Sheatiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now look, I'm sure that many in the room this morning have never thought about why Matthew opens this way. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that many in the room this morning, upon your reading of the book of Matthew, you probably just skipped these 17 verses altogether. You're like, man, it's not that important. Yet, this is the way that God has chosen to start our New Testament. There's got to be a reason why it's here, right? There's got to be a reason that it starts this way. There's got to be a reason that God inspired by the Holy Spirit, Matthew, to start this way. And so we ask, why? Why? Why the genealogy? Why does Matthew begin this way? Why is it important? Why does it matter in the whole story for us to understand this as we begin the story of Jesus in, on the, in the New Testament? If you'll lean in with me this morning, as we spend some time in, this, in these 17 verses, if you'll just lean in as we ask why, I believe that you'll find that it matters more than just to the whole story, that what God has been doing in the whole story is connecting his story to your story, and these stories ultimately help that happen. This matters in your story today. Where we're going, just spoiler alert, God cares deeply about you, and his grace is sufficient for you. The first truth, the first truth we've got to wrestle with and we've got to come to terms with is this, that you have to know the whole story to fully understand the coming of Jesus. You've got to know the whole story in order to fully understand the coming of Jesus. And what Matthew is trying to get us to do is to bridge the, the Old Testament and the New with the whole, the fullness of the story so that we can understand the coming of Jesus. Now, when we open up the New Testament, we understand that, that the Old Testament is done. In our Bibles, it's bound into two testaments. The Old Testament is done. The New is beginning. But here's, here's what I want you to, to, to realize, That yes, in in, in the way that we bind our our modern Bibles, the Old Testament and the New Testament are two, two separate books bound into one with 66 total books inside of all of them, right? We understand that, but the Old Testament is not completed. The New Testament is a continuation of the same story with the same God. We're not talking about two very different gods, two very different stories. No, it's the same story. God has done everything he has done In the whole story, across the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, he's done everything he has done to bring us to this point. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament crescendos right here in the Gospels. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you don't understand the crescendo. You don't understand the magnitude of this moment in its fullness. It's not going to make sense. There are some that want to separate these two things. There are others that would even go as far. Even pastors who would say, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, unhitch our faith from the Old Testament altogether. Church, listen. The problem with that is that the scriptures themselves don't give us the opportunity to do that. You realize that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament over a thousand times? It's hard to unhitch ourselves from something that the New Testament is constantly pointing us back to. Do you realize that Jesus himself didn't unhitch himself from the Old Testament or his faith from the Old Testament? He constantly quoted the Old Testament scriptures to prove that he was who the Messiah was to be. And talking about his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, he's constantly pointing back. To the Old Testament. You and I can't truly understand the coming of Jesus without the whole story of Scripture. Alistair Begg, the great Scottish pastor, once said it like this: He said, You need a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. We need it all. Have you ever been to a pop-up shop? Pop-up store, pop-up shop. Maybe you've been to one. Maybe you've heard of one. Maybe you'd like to go to one one day. It's this idea that like a retail shop would just for one day or for a couple of days just operate in a short period of time for the purpose of of generating some interest, creating a little bit of urgency that makes us like wanna show up, buy what they have, pay a visit. I got hit with a pop-up shop yesterday. We... We pulled into town and ate at Local Roots because that burger is unbelievable. And right out front, I knew I was in trouble the moment that I pulled in. Maybe you have this same problem, but I pulled into the parking lot and I looked at my wife and I said, Julie, we we, we gotta go somewhere else. She's like, why? I said, look. And right out front of Local Roots, the Girl Scouts had set up their little pop-up shop. And I don't even really love the cookies that much. The cookies are great, but I just can't say no to them. And so we ordered our food, I walked outside and I'm like, ladies, which ones do I need? And they picked out like five different boxes. I'm like, all right, give me all of them. Maybe you've been to a pop-up shop before just pops up out of nowhere, creates urgency, you gotta be there, you gotta come at this time, this is it, this is all you get, right? Some people think about Jesus that way, that this is what happened, that we just disregard the entire Old Testament and he just pops up out of nowhere, creates a little urgency to to drive us back to the Lord in this short period of time, this is all you get, and then he just disappears off the scene. That's not what happened. You know, members of Oaks that have been around for the last, I don't know how many weeks, 20 plus weeks you guys have been walking through. Jesus didn't just show up out of nowhere. God has been saying it over and over and over again. He's coming, right? He's coming. He's coming. Salvation is coming. Look at verse one again. Look at what Matthew says to us. Look at how he describes Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Then, all the way down in verse 18, right, right after where we stopped this morning, he describes the birth of Jesus. And everything in between, verse 1 and verse 18, tells his story. It tells the whole story. And ultimately this morning, it tells our story. Because God is making his story, our story. Since you began this series, you've been tracing the covenant promises of God. God's covenant promises to his people, promises to save them, promises to redeem them. And the Old Testament scriptures time and time again, story after story, book after book, have showed that God has been faithful to those promises. He's faithful. You remember all the way back in Genesis three after the sin of Adam and Eve, that God meets them in the garden. He took the life of an animal. He covered them from the shame of their sin. And he promised them in that moment, the first messianic promise all the way back in Genesis chapter three, he promises them then that one would come from the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. That there is a, a, a child of human form. That would come and bring salvation from this sin. You remember that. Matthew says, this is the man, Jesus. But he doesn't just say Jesus, he says Jesus Christ. Or if you have a New American Standard, he says Jesus, the Messiah. That word Christ there is really important. In the Greek, it's Christos, which means anointed one. It means Messiah. He's saying something else to us. Because you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, Listen, I'm going to make your generations as numerous as the stars, and the whole world will be blessed by what I do through you. There's a Messiah coming. So Matthew says, This is Jesus, the Christ son of Abraham remember what God said to David as he continued his covenant promises with his people he says David your kingdom will never end there will be an eternal king coming from your royal line Matthew said not just jesus christ not just the son of abraham he's also the son of david now matthew's gospel is unique because it was written with jewish readers in mind and this Genealogy specifically is here to help them understand in clear purpose that Jesus is indeed this much anticipated Messiah that they had been looking for, that they had been longing for, that they had been praying for. He is the answer to the many prophecies and promises that God had given them over generations and generations and generations. This genealogy plants the story of Jesus deep and firmly in the soil of that history. The history that you've spent the last 20 plus weeks walking through, talking about. It's a bridge. This genealogy is a bridge. If you could just build this in your mind, when you read these 17 verses, it's a bridge to build between what God has done and what God is doing. Help us get from what God has done to what God is doing. Ultimately, if nothing else this morning, I hope you understand that these 17 verses exist to help us see that the Old Testament matters. Everything that has been built has been built to this point. We've got to understand the whole story to un- fully understand the coming of Jesus. To make it even more personal this morning, the second point, I started, shared the, a little bit with you a little bit with you earlier second point that this genealogy stands to help us realize is that people matter to God people matter people matter to God it is absolutely overwhelming to think about this this morning that that this God who spoke the cosmos into existence who laid the foundations of the earth who holds everything together this God who knows exactly how many stars are in the heavens and calls them out by name. This God who created the oceans and draws their boundaries at the shore. This God who satisfies the appetites of the lions, as we're told in scripture, that that feeds the birds of the air and clothes the flowers of the field in their beauty. This God cares about us. And not just corporately cares about us, he cares about us individually. As Job was pouring out his heart to the Lord, in his trials and in his suffering and in difficulty of his life, he says this in Job chapter 7 verse 17 and 18, he says, what is man? He's, he's asking this question, what is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him and you visit him every morning and you test him in every moment? What, what am I that you would care for me? The psalmist felt the same way in Psalm chapter 8, 3 and 4. He says, "When I consider your heavens? when I, I think about the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained? What is man that you take thought of him in the son of man that you care for him. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Yeah, yeah, I know God cares for people, but but who am I? Who am I? Look, as we've walked through the whole story and we, we understand that God is the unquestioned star of that story, These 17 verses in Matthew chapter 1 demonstrate the truth that God has written that whole story into the lives of real people just like us. These are not just names on a page, these are real people with real families and real jobs in real situations that lived in real places that dealt with real difficulty and real sin in their life, just as you and I do in ours. And every one of them mattered to God. Every single one of them Matter of fact, we're going to see that most clearly in the life of Jesus. You guys walked through the book of Luke last year. You saw it. You're going to continue to walk through Jesus' life for the next couple of weeks. You're going to see it. People mattered to Jesus. You're not going to read a story about Jesus where he's like, no, 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 I don't have time for you. As a matter of fact, he's going to pour himself out for the people around him. Stories like the woman with the issue of blood, stories like blind Bartimaeus, stories like the sinful woman that washes his feet with her hair, stories like Zacchaeus, like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, like the disciples themselves. God God shows us his love and has showed us through the Old Testament and it's most clearly pointed out how much we matter to him in the way that Jesus interacted with those around him. Jesus came looking for those far from him. That's the heart of God. He is searching and seeking and desiring to save and redeem those far from him. Not just through the stories of the Old Testament. But the story of what he is doing and redeeming us to himself through Christ. That's why Jesus said, it's my purpose. I have come to seek and save that which was lost. Now look, this is where we have to do the difficult work of making sure that this isn't something that we just set aside and say, that's great for them. No, 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 we've got to apply this to our own lives and recognize that this is true. Not only is it true for them, it's true for me. It isn't just a past tense reality, it's a present reality we live in. God's not done. He's not done. Hear me this morning. He's not done. This isn't just something for them. It's something for us right now. He is telling his story through your story. Believer, he's telling his story through your story. Listen to how Peter describes what God's doing in us in 1 Peter chapter 2 says this about those, the followers of Christ. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness in marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hear me this morning. If you are his, if you have been called by, by the by the." the grace and the mercy and the salvation of Christ, if he has drawn you to himself and saved you, you are his. And Peter would help us recognize that as his, we have been compelled into a mission to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Sounds a lot like a commission that we quote every week as we close a service. We are called into the mission. This genealogy is full of people who remind us that God cares about people, cares about you. The whole redemption story exists because God cares about his people. Let's get awkward. Look at your neighbor this morning and just let them know, hey, God cares about you. Now look the other way. Tell the other person. (laughs) Now some of you are sitting by strangers, and so that was real fun. But it's true. I want you to hear it. There's some of you that are struggling with that truth this morning. I want you to hear it. God cares about you. He cares about you. take that one step further finally Matthew gives us this genealogy not just to help us understand the whole story and how Jesus fits in the whole story that this is God's plan not just to show us that God cares about us but also to help us understand It puts the power of God's grace on display that God's grace is sufficient I don't know how to say this any other way there were some messed up people in this lineage There's some messed up people who did some messed up things. There was real brokenness in their story. Maybe you can resonate with that today more than anything else. You're like, yeah, I'm a messed up person. I got some messed up things going on. Had a messed up weekend. Maybe there's some significant brokenness in your story as well if that's you here's what I want you to hear this morning there's good news for you this morning because you're not alone you're not alone lean in with me because this list of names that Matthew includes in this record is an interesting group see what's interesting is in the first century genealogies generally would have consisted just of Jewish men So if you read the majority of other genealogies, you're just going to read Jewish men in those genealogies. Just the father of, 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 the father of. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. But this one's different. You normally would not have had women in the genealogy at all, and you certainly would not have had any Gentiles, any non-Jewish people by race in the genealogy at all, right? We want purity in our lineage. It was the Jewish mindset. This one's different. Matthew includes both women and ethnic diversity in this genealogy. Tamar was a Canaanite woman. Rahab was also a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabite. All Gentile women. Ladies, what do you think God's trying to tell you by including women in the genealogy of Jesus? It was not a cultural norm. It was actually against the cultural norm. What do you think God's trying to tell you When he includes women in the genealogy of Jesus. For all of us in the room that are not Jewish by race, what do you think God's trying to tell us by including Gentiles in the genealogy of Jesus? What do you think he's trying to say to us? It's not insignificant. Here's the truth. When we read this genealogy and we see both women and Gentiles included in the genealogy, here's what God's trying to do. He's trying to ensure that we realize that the ground is level at the cross. that There is no hierarchy. That we all, every single one of us, stand before Jesus with a great need and he has come to save all that recognize that need and give him lordship over their life. came for all but look that's not the only strange thing about this genealogy i told you earlier there were some messed up people that had done some messed up things what's most striking to me in this genealogy is just how sinful some of these people actually were if i was telling this story i would have probably left some of those people out like if you're telling me your family story there are some people you're going to leave out you're like i'm not going to talk about that crazy aunt i have mine's name is sue i don't talk about aunt sue We don't want to talk about prison and all this other stuff. I don't want to tell you that story. I'm going to leave Aunt Sue out of the story. You've got those people in your life as well. Don't act like you don't. We all do, right? I would have left a lot of these people out. but God doesn't hide that truth. He doesn't hide it. He tells us about Tamar once again, who disguised herself as a prostitute. And slept with her father-in-law and bore him twins. That's messed up. Tells us about Judah, who was the father-in-law who was seduced by his daughter-in-law, who he thought was a prostitute, slept with her and had twins with. Tells us about Rahab, who actually was a prostitute. A lot of prostitution in this little section alone, right? Tells us about David, not a prostitute, but who did something just as bad, committed adultery with Bathsheba, had a son with him that ultimately, through consequences of that sin, died. Even more than that, had Bathsheba's husband killed in order to be with her. Tells us about Manasseh, you may not know about Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king in the southern kingdom of Judah, the most wicked king. As a matter of fact, the the Babylonian deportation happened because of Manasseh's wickedness. Then he goes a step further, not just about these individual sins, he takes us to that deportation, which was ultimately the result of the sinful idolatry of the whole nation. In this genealogy, Matthew puts the sin of these people, these sinners on full display. They were not ideal people. They were real people. Their lives were messy. They were far from perfect. But he doesn't tell us about their sin to somehow glorify their sin or somehow make their sin okay. What they did was sinful. They violated God's law. They broke the heart of God. They had to live with the consequences of that sin and the choices that they had made. And they faced the judgment of God on their life because of that sin. He doesn't tell us about the sin or the sinner to glorify the sin. No, he tells us about their sin to glorify himself and put the power of his grace on full display in the whole story. We can't emphasize this enough. Matthew introduces us to Jesus by way of sinners. Why? Because Jesus is the friend of sinners. The life of Jesus proves it over and over again. He is spending his time with those that the Pharisees who thought they were too good, who thought they were too righteous, would never even touch. And no one knew this better than Matthew. No one knew that Jesus was the friend of sinners better than Matthew. If you remember, Matthew was the tax collector. He was a Jewish man working for the Romans. To collect Roman taxes against his own people. He was messed up. He had done some messed up things. And then he met Jesus. And the grace of Jesus changed everything. So maybe you've messed up. Maybe you're just in a perpetual cycle of just messing up. Maybe your whole life is messed up. Maybe you can relate to many of these stories. You don't measure up. You fall short. You fail often. You can't get it right. You can't clean yourself up. Friend, you're in good company. Look around. Christ welcomes you this morning. Lean in. Look to me. Christ welcomes you. He He has drawn near to you because you can't draw near to him. He has come to you. Not because you're righteous, but because you need righteousness that only he can give. For you by the lie that you could never be close with him, Remember these stories. Remember the whole story. I hope you've seen over the scope of the Old Testament as we turn the page into the New that the whole story proves to us that God is in the business of drawing near to broken people and restoring them and using them for his great purposes. Everybody in the room this morning As a sinner, everybody in the room this morning has broken the law of God, has done wrong in the sight of God, has created distance between ourselves and God. There is no one any less sinful than anyone else in the room or any less sinful than anyone in this genealogy we've read this morning. When Adam and Eve sinned, they plunged us all down a path that ultimately separates us from the Father. And none of us can be righteous enough to save ourselves. It's an incredibly difficult position we found ourselves in. Down in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, it gives us this great news that Jesus has come to save sinners. Sinners communicating a simple truth to us this morning through the genealogy all the way to 21 that god's grace is truly greater than all of our sin when our sin is at his worst, at its worst god's grace is at its best this morning understand when your sin is at its worst god's grace is at its best it shines brightest So as we close, I want you to think for just a moment about everything that God has done. Think about what he's done. the Covenant promises, the prophecies, the grace, the mercy, story upon story, page upon page, person by person. Think about everything God has done to connect his story to your story. Even beyond this genealogy, think about the people in your life that God has put in your life or put in your life to lead you to a place of understanding who Jesus is. Think about the people God has put in your life, oh, the scope of time that have led you closer and closer in your walk and your relationship with Jesus. Think about all God has done redeem you it's appropriate it's always appropriate to respond to the lord and in, in his word but it's appropriate sometimes that that response is nothing more than just an act of thanksgiving and worship thank you lord for who you are and what you've done for me just bring us back to a place uh, as the scriptures call it, to, to the joy of our salvation. Just be reminded how significant this thing is that we have, this gift in Christ, in salvation, in freedom. God's love is patient and wide. God's love is patient and wide and enduring. And this morning, it should compel us to do two simple things, I think. One, show that same... Patient and enduring love to others. But two, I think most significantly, it should drive us this morning to offer God our entire selves. Look at what he's done. For the non-believer in the room, if you're in the room this morning, you're like, I, I've never come to that place where I've given my life to Jesus. I want you to understand what God has done to offer salvation for you significant Christ lived a sinless life you couldn't live He died a sacrificial death in your place He rose again on the third day providing you a hope you can't lose and promises to return to to return you with him to redeem you with him forever Not because of your righteousness, but because of his. And all you've got to do this morning is, one, recognize you have a real need. We've all had to come to that place. Just confess that you're the only sufficient answer to that need. Give your life to Christ this morning. Give him lordship of your life this morning promises to meet you where you are and lead you where he wants you to go, but you've got to say yes this morning. So would you stop fighting and just say yes to the Lord. Let's worship in our response as we respond personally to the Lord, as we pray. Father, you are incredibly good. Father, we thank you that your word shows us your incredible love for us from cover to cover, that your desire is to be with us. And Father, we know we fail often. We would hate to know that others had to read our stories, the stories of our failures. Father, we are thankful. We are so incredibly thankful this morning that that the story of your grace in our life is so real and so significant. You make us what we could not become on our own. And this morning, you know the people that are in the room, you know our hearts, you know our struggles, you know what we're walking through. And Father, I pray that you would use your word to speak a healing word over those that are Struggling and feeling as if they're not enough, would you remind them what you've done for them? Those that are struggling in sin, would you remind them that you are sufficient? You satisfy every need. Would you give them the boldness to return to you? Father, for those that that have never come to you, would you give them the boldness this morning just to say, I need you? both as Savior and Lord, and may they find fresh and new spiritual life in you because of your great grace and love and mercy towards them. Father, we want to honor you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. We ask all of these things in Christ's name this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast, For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.